hot journey it's been and we wanted to know what do people think about church why do people go what's the point of it does it do any good in the world that sort of thing and so we're in bozeman and we're just going to ask a few people what they think let's go do it So uh, here's the question we're asking people. What do you think the point of church is? Wow, not what we expected. <laughs> the question is not what we expected. <laughs> Find a uh, community with uh, similarly minded people. I'm not a religious person, but uh, it's just good memories from my childhood. So it's just like a tradition from parents to children. Why do you think people go to church? Because uh, God didn't send us a set of rules. He sent us his son. And so you want to learn how to get to know him and be in relationship with him. Be surprised. Ben, that's my son's name. Oh, it's a good name. Yeah, it is a strong name. Uh, a spiritual outlet and a place to, to uh, uh, call home. Give something for people to believe in and a place for them to go to believe in something. Probably most people are looking for purpose and something more meaningful. Do you think that's the point uh, of church? No. I think a lot of it might have to do with uh, tradition, how they grew up. Do you think that is the point of church? No. What is the point? I don't know. I find community and like-minded people and my values in lots of other places so I don't I don't go to church myself but I see the value of it I was even going to be a priest once uh, what changed your mind girls <laughs> yeah I go to worship God go cats <laughs> go cats amen <laughs> now we'll cut that out I believe it gives you spiritual inspiration Fellowship, I believe, more than anything else. Because you can pray at all. From feeding the poor to uh, helping homeless and etc. Yeah, the church does a lot of good. It's a habit, and they feel like they should. I go to church because it gives purpose to my life, and I think that it's the way to happiness. Um, I think that life doesn't have a point and they go to church to find some sort of salvation or connect with the community. You know, if you're happy, you're happy. If you aren't happy, then find something that will make you happy. Because their parents did, that's what they grew up doing. And People are looking for any reason to belong to anything. Everyone with that same goal and belief and um, can lean on one, each other, like one another in hard times. So that's why I think people go. Thanks, Ben, Logan, love that video. Question to you, why are you here? I'm imagining that as Americans, uh, you're not bored. There's a thousand things, especially in Bozeman, Montana, there's a thousand things that you could have done with your morning, but you chose to be here. Why? After Brian made that comment about the Vikings, I'm starting to wonder why he's here. That was not on the interview question, but it will be next time. How do you feel about the Vikings? Why are you here? Do you just come here because it's a habit? This is, what I've, this is what I've always done, kind of growing up. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Some of you might be saying, uh, 
The reason I'm here is because, see this girl next to me? She's really, really cute. And Jesus is exciting to her, and so I'm trying to make him exciting to me. That's why I'm here. You know, maybe I just started college, and I know that mama's gonna ask me if I found a church, and I wanna at least take one quick selfie in front of this place so that she knows that I've at least attended once. Why do you come? This morning at the nine o'clock, I, I've got to point this out. There was, have you seen those new scooters that they have downtown that you can rent? There was one of those sitting out front of our church, like right as you walk in. And I'm thinking, like, what is the story behind this scooter? An MSU student went and rented one of those scooters downtown, rode that thing all the way out here to come to church. Yeah. I want to know that dude's why. That dude wanted to be here. Tony, we were so glad that you were with us. Why do you come? It's an important question. You know, I think when we're little, when we're growing up, that question comes pretty naturally. And if you're the parent of young kids, you know exactly how naturally that question of why comes. They ask it over and over and over. Why? But why? But why? And then if you're a parent like me, you finally just have it up to here and you say, because I said so, that's why. Just shuts the conversation down. I wonder if that's why oftentimes, as we get older, we quit asking the question why. Friends, we can't quit asking that question, especially as it relates to God, especially as it relates to us and how we experience our faith and especially as it relates to us gathering together as a people of faith, as the church. We've got to understand the why. I wanna press into a little bit of work that done by Simon Sinek. It might be a name that is familiar to some of you. He is an organizational consultant and motivational speaker, an author. Uh, he wrote a book called Start With Why. And if you actually go out on YouTube, you can see his probably about 15, 18 minute TED talk called Start With Why. I'd encourage you to do that. Much of what I'm gonna share here comes from that. But here's what Simon Sinek talks about. God, I nailed that again, like two in a row. <laughs> I thought there's no way I could do it better than I did at the nine, and I think I may have. <laughs> Here's what Simon Sinek talks about when he talks about the importance of the question why. He said there's lots of questions that we can ask, whether we're a company, an organization, a church, or a person. There's lots of questions that we can ask. One question is just be, what? Question is, what is it that I do? And most people, most organizations, most churches can explain, this is what we do. A smaller group of people can explain, this is how we do what we do. But what Simon Sinek says is that the most inspired people, the most inspired organizations, the most inspired churches are the ones that know how to answer this question, why? And he says it's very, very simple, and it relates not necessarily to theology, not necessarily to psychology. It gets all the way back to simple biology. There's different ways that our brain engages these different questions. He said this question of what, what is it that I do? This is 
processed in the neocortex part of our brain. Where we, the rational functions, the logical functions, where we do our language comes from this part of our brain. But this is what Cynic explains. As we begin to go down to this question right here, it's processed in a different part of our brain, the limbic system. And the limbic system is responsible for our feelings, our emotions, our gut. Maybe in some ways we would say our heart. And what is coming out of us, the question why, gives us our purpose, gives us our passion, gives us our belief, this things that we, thing that we grab a hold of that is bigger than us. And he says that's why the people that understand the answer to the question why are the most inspired people. If you want to be uninspired, if you want to be unengaged, don't think about the question of why. You'll have an unengaged heart. Now, just for a second, put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Engagement, heart, as it relates to the church. If you go out and look at all around some of the statistics that are out there about heart level engagement in the church, it is on a steady, steady decline in our culture. Statistics say, it's hard to say, statistics in front of a big group of people. Statistics say that 20 years ago, one in eight people in the United States would identify themselves as having no religious affiliation whatsoever. One in eight. I mean, I don't have anything to do with church. I have nothing to do with religion. Today, that number is one in four. If you are under the age of 30, that number is approaching one in two. About half of the people have no connection, relation to church in any way whatsoever. That's one part of the statistics. And the Pew and Barna and people that do a lot of work around them, they've called this group of people the nuns. People that have, not N-U-N, not nuns, but N-O-N-E-S. Like nuns, we, we just have no religious affiliation. But there's an increasingly larger group of people that they're calling the duns. And these are people that have had church background. But for whatever reason, they've come to the place where they just said, I'm done. I don't get it. I don't get anything out of it. I don't even know why I do it. And they've completely disengaged the nuns and the duns. And here's the thing that I thought was so interesting. You might think that those duns, the people that just kind of gave up on church, would be people that had existed on the periphery, like maybe barely involved in the issues of church and in the life of the church. Uh-uh. The vast majority of the, these people that they're identifying as just done with church have been some of the most involved and engaged people at one time. But now they're done. So a why question that you might be asking right now is, why are you talking to us? We're here. We're showing up. You're preaching to the choir, Bob. Maybe today. But if we don't have a compelling why, this is why I'm engaged in the things that I'm doing, you will not be here tomorrow, likely. Maybe you're just saying, I, I don't get what you're saying. Maybe it's not affecting you, but it has likely affected someone that you know or love. Maybe friends, relatives, people that you know that were engaged with you around the life of the church, that they're no longer around and it's breaking your heart. Maybe it's not 
friends, maybe it's your own family, your own spouse that used to be here with you, but now they've just got other things that they want to do on the weekend, other things that they want to engage in. Maybe it's your kids. Your kids that you did everything you could to try to raise them in the church and teach them about Jesus, but they've just gotten to the place where I'm not getting up. I got other things I wanna do and they're done. If it's not affecting you, it's likely affecting someone that you love. Are we on a sinking ship? Are we destined to fail? Are are we leading something around here that's just gonna die eventually? A lot of the statistics are moving us, say that's the direction that we're in. Should I be worried about my job? Should I think about another line of work? Is this just not even gonna be happening a handful of years down the road? Is it time for me to panic, you to panic? Is this a panic situation for the church? I wonder, that's what I've been wondering. Is this a crisis or is this an opportunity? I believe this could be a great opportunity for us. One of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called Apollo 13. Do we have any Apollo 13 lovers out there? Get your hands up, come on. You gotta love that movie. And if you haven't seen it, you gotta go see it. And if you don't love it, um, we're not gonna hire you at this church. I love Apollo 13. It's the story of the Apollo 13 mission, this ill-fated mission to try to send these men to the moon. Uh, Kind of the famous words around this movie is Houston, we have a problem. You've heard that. Whether you've seen the movie or not, you know that. They had more than a problem. They had lots of problems. It was one of those things where everything just seemed to be going wrong. But this is what I love about this movie. Like all good movies have heroes and tension But the heroes in this movie, they weren't these big, handsome men with big muscles and guns and fast cars. It was these little scrawny guys with pencil necks and pen protectors and thick glasses. They were the heroes of this movie. Like if you're an engineer type or a nerd type, this is like our Braveheart movie right here. I love it, the Braveheart for engineers. And this is what they were doing. They were trying to navigate these men with everything that's breaking down in their lunar module. They're trying to get them back to earth. And here's the truth. They were trying to do it on way less, a fraction of the computing power that we have in our cell phone today. And that includes both of you that have flip phones. (laughs) You have even more computing power than they did. But one of my favorite scenes within one of my favorite movies was when there are these two engineers and they're talking back and forth about everything that is going wrong. There is so much that's going wrong. They don't know if their heat shields were damaged and if there's any damage to them at all. When this capsule starts penetrating through the earth's atmosphere, the friction of that is just gonna incinerate them if the heat shields are compromised in any way. They're wondering about the parachutes, these parachutes that are gonna blow open to let them land safely in the ocean. They have every reason to believe that those parachutes are blocks of ice because they had no power to keep them heated. They don't know if the things that they tried to do to get the angle right to come into the Earth's atmosphere, if it was too shallow, they're just gonna skip off of the Earth's atmosphere and these men are gonna be lost forever. 
Houston, we have a problem. But as these engineers are sitting here talking about all this, one of those engineers is kind of shaking his head and he said, I believe this is gonna be the worst disaster in NASA's history. And then, right over here next to them, Gene Krantz, played by Ed Harris, looks over at them and he says, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. Yes! Don't you just love that? Friends, I believe in the same way. We could look at the church and just say, Houston, we have a problem. Things are not going in the right direction. But I believe this could be our finest hour. And here's why. I've read the book. I've read it. I know who's in charge of this thing called the church. It ain't me. It ain't you. It's him. And this is what I also know. He is not up in heaven wringing his hands, wondering about how do I deal with these people that have seemed to have lost their way? Because when I read the book, biblically, and I look at church history, historically, when the church has its back against the wall, when it seems like all hope is lost, is when they actually become at their best. But here's what happens. It's when we get our back against the wall that we actually start asking the questions that we need to ask. And I believe, friends, that question is, why? Why are we even doing this thing? Because when we start to ask that question why, we actually start to look in the direction of the one that can answer that question for us, and that direction is up. Jesus doesn't want us to be confused and wondering about why we're here. What does this matter for us or for anyone else? Jesus wants us to have his heart in our heart. And in that way, our heart would be engaged. We're gonna look at a text of scripture today from Matthew chapter 16. It's kind of an interesting interplay between Jesus and primarily Peter, but all of the disciples that were there. And it's one of the few times in the teachings of Jesus that he actually uses the term church. Most of the time, and most of his message was about the kingdom of God. But what we understand is that the church is just the tangible expression of this kingdom of God. These people that are knitting their arms together and their lives together in order to bring God's kingdom to this earth. That's what the church is. And Jesus is telling us this is why the church exists. But to understand the heart of Jesus, to understand Jesus's why, we've gotta understand three things. We've gotta understand the person of Jesus, we've gotta understand the passion of Jesus, and we've got to understand the purpose of Jesus. Here we go, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he turns the question to them, and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? One of the people in his audience there is Peter, and I, I don't know exactly the things that were going on in the mind of Peter, but here's what I imagine is happening. There's lots of opinions about Jesus today, 
There were lots of opinions about Jesus back then. And it seemed like the common theme was he was one of the prophets. But Peter's looking at this man, Jesus, this life, Jesus, that he's been following, and he's starting to ask some questions. There's reasons why he seems different from the other prophets. You see, the other prophets, what they would do is they were always pointing to someone else. They were always pointing to one that would come, that would bring salvation to the nation of Israel. But Peter's looking at the life of Jesus, and he's saying, he doesn't point to anybody else. He is constantly pointing back to himself. It's always pointing back to him. And he doesn't talk like the other prophets either. The other prophets, because they were a spokesperson for God, they would say things like, thus says the Lord, and then they would speak on his behalf. This is the, God's message for you. Jesus didn't talk like that. Jesus said things like, truly, truly, I say to you. So Peter knew like, this cat Jesus, he's different than all of the other prophets. And so with this, I imagine going on in the mind of Peter, and if you know anything about Peter, he always gets bold. So he raises his hand and he says, I'm gonna answer the question. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the one that everyone has been pointing to. You are God come to us to bring salvation. Jesus replied, nailed it. (laughs) Loosely translated. (laughs) Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Who's gonna build the church? Not me. Not you. He's gonna build the church. Who's gonna be able to stand against it? Me? No. You? People that are writing off the church? No. Not even the powers of hell. Nothing is going to stand against Jesus and what he is building. He will build his church. He's not wringing his hands. He's not worried about how committed we are. But he wants us to understand he is. He is who he claimed to be. He is the Messiah. And he came with a message that was completely upside down. That the world as it thinks about religion was completely counterintuitive. Because religion just says over and over, you do. Strive. Do what you can to make yourself pleasing to God. And Jesus turned that completely up on its head. It was never about striving. It was about receiving. It's not about what you do. It's about what I've done for you. You need to receive that. That's the message that he brought. We've got to understand he was who he claimed to be and we've got to understand his message. Because if we don't understand the person of Jesus, we will never move in to the second thing, his passion. We will never move in to his passion. 
When I use this word passion in our second point there, I'm not talking about a a heart passion. There's another way that that word passion is used, especially as it's related to the life of Jesus. And that word passion means suffering. And so you might be saying, well, why didn't you just say suffering? It doesn't start with P. And I needed three Ps for my sermon. We're talking about his passion, his suffering. Because the why of Jesus is completely tied to the why of his suffering. To understand his why, we've got to understand his passion. And as we continue in this text, Jesus is forecasting to those that are closest to him, that are in that audience with him, suffering is coming, passion is coming. Verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Who's still in the audience? Peter. Peter's thinking some things. He's thinking... I'm not having this. I'm gonna tell Jesus what's up. And I just came off of the heels of an amazing insight for everybody. Peter gets his hand in the air again. But Peter took him aside, him meaning Jesus, and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. A little insight here. If you're going to reprimand Jesus, you really need to know what you're talking about. Jesus was not impressed with this answer of Peter. Verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view not from God's. I think another way that Jesus could say this is, Peter, you're missing the message. Peter, you've got the wrong why. And Peter, if you've got the wrong why, you're never gonna be able to be my spokesperson in the world. You've got to get the why right. We've got to feel the force of this rebuke of Jesus to Peter. I mean, just imagine how jarring this was for Peter. He was just stroked so great for his response before, feeling so great. And then get behind me, Satan. I mean, this had to be like whiplash for Peter. Friends, it's got to be whiplash for us too. We've got to understand, why is Jesus so adamant about this? Why would he use such harsh words for Peter? Because Jesus just didn't talk like that to people most of the time. Those Those that were on the margins of the culture, those that were needy and poor, people that were discarded, Jesus moved toward them and talked with them with great kindness and compassion and generosity. Even those that were morally compromised, prostitutes, tax collectors, The scripture says, the notorious sinners of the day. How did Jesus engage with them? Kindness, generosity, 
So why is he losing his cool with Peter? Because he hears a voice in the voice of Peter that is a voice that he knows all too well. It's that same voice that came to talk to Eve and to Adam in the garden. That same voice that would come and say, did God really say? Did God really say? He's trying to keep something from you. God's not for you. He's trying to hold back from you. You need to go around him. You need to take a shortcut. He's trying to hold back from you knowledge of good and evil. The voice of the enemy. Jesus heard that same voice in his life when he was in the desert. As he encountered the enemy there. The enemy that said, I will give you everything. Absolutely everything. All the things that you came here to get. All the kingdoms of the world. All the people. I'll give them all to you. No cross, no nothing, no suffering. Just bow down and worship me. The voice of the evil one. Jesus is hearing that same voice in Peter saying, no, no, Jesus, not suffering. We'll go around suffering. But Jesus' message has always been, we don't go around suffering in this life. Victory in my kingdom doesn't go around suffering, it goes through suffering. That's the only way this happens, Peter. And if you try to create a message out there that is different than that, it's gonna deceive people and it's gonna be disillusioning to people. And let me just be honest, I didn't say this at the nine, but I I feel like I just need to say it right now. There are people that stand on stages and say things just like that. If you're suffering life, there's something wrong with you. If you just do good, only good things will happen to you. It's deception. And it's disillusioning in our lives. Jesus said, victory in my kingdom comes through suffering. But he always promises, I will be with you through the suffering. Peter, that's got to be the message. If you have any other message than that, shut up. Don't tell the world. Victory comes through suffering. And the cross of Jesus Christ, it just proclaims, it just declares through every generation that this is true. The cross of Jesus Christ declares his why, the Father's why, the Holy Spirit's why to every one of us forever. Who are we? Why are we? What is this life about? What is church about? The cross tells us. The cross tells us that the Father looks down at us and says, you are valuable. How valuable? Valuable enough for me to send my son to die in your place so that I can be with you forever. Jesus himself looks at us through the cross and says, you matter. You are valuable. I would rather die in your place than spend eternity separated from you. God's passion, meaning his heart and his passion and his why, we see it in his passion, his suffering. You matter. You matter to him. Not just you in general, you specifically You specifically, you specifically, you matter to him. And you know what that means? That means that 
everyone matters to him. You've never laid eyes on a person that doesn't matter to God. And the cross declares for all of us to understand this is the why of God and that why needs to penetrate our hearts as well. People matter. You matter forever. People matter forever. And the victory that was accomplished on the cross, it came through suffering. And if we choose to follow Jesus with our life, we are gonna walk our lives into that exact same suffering. That's why we've gotta understand when Jesus gives us an invitation to follow him, to follow him into the third thing that we're gonna talk about, his purpose, we need to know that suffering is going to be part of that. There is a cost to join him in his purpose. Here's how Jesus defined his purpose. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way And I'd love for the sake of this message, I might even want to insert there your own why. He said, don't choose your own way. Don't choose your own why, but take up your cross. Take up your suffering and follow me. If, he says, if you try to hang on to your life, if you try to hang on to the stuff of this life, if you try to make your home here in life, he said, what's going to happen is you're going to lose it. You're gonna lose your life. But if you give up your life for my sake, for me, you will save it. And what does it benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? I think it's worth pointing out in this translation, they use the word life and soul interchangeable. It's the same Greek word that is used there. And what happens oftentimes, if there's a Greek word that is just rich in meaning, it gets really challenging to try to translate it with just one English word. And so that's why the translators are kind of going back and forth between this idea of life and soul. I want to say this. I think Eugene Peterson nailed it in his translation or his paraphrase called The Message. The word translated here, he uses the word true self. If you want your life, if you want your soul, if you want your true self, the self that God sees you to be, who God made you to be, we need to give up our life. We need to surrender our life to him. When I read this text, and this, is, this text is throughout all the gospels, This idea is throughout all the gospels, this invitation to give up our life. I think, Jesus, you are the worst marketer ever. You just make it sound too tough, too hard. Jesus is honest. But here's what we've got to come to believe. Is he trying to extract something from me? Or does he actually want something for me? Because however you view that will determine your willingness to be able to surrender your life to him. Does he want something from me? Or is he trying to give something to me? He wants to give something to you. He wants you to have life. He wants you to have your soul. He wants you to be your true self. He wants you to be everything that you were created to be. But he's telling us 
It only comes through surrender. You gotta say no to some things around us. If you try to capture everything in this life and make everything about this life, you're gonna miss the why. You're gonna miss his heart for why he came. If you choose to follow Jesus, or if you have chosen to follow Jesus in this way, surrendering your life to him, you know he will take you to uncomfortable places. To go into this world and to meet the needs of people that he loves, that matter to him, that are valuable to him, it's gonna take things from you. It's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you your time. It's gonna cost you your energy. It's gonna cost you money to give your resources away in radical ways to bring the love of Jesus into the lives of as many people as possible. It's going to cost you something. Whenever I read this text of scripture, I think about this. You're thinking he's lost his mind. <laughs> Do you know what this is? I don't even know what you call it. I tried to, when I tried to buy this on Google, I didn't even know exactly, exactly what it was. I'm calling it a water weasel. This was like the toy I had growing up. You know, eight hours in a car, this is what you had. And we liked it and we didn't complain. No iPads, nothing. This is what we had. But I love this toy. And I think about this toy when I think about what Jesus is saying. If this is my life, what Jesus is saying is if you try to grab a hold of the stuff in this life, if you try to make your life about that, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna try to grab it and it's gonna squeeze away and it's gonna get away from you. You're gonna lose it all. If you try to grab a hold of this life, you're gonna lose it all. But, he says, if you're willing to take this life and lose it. And when he says lose it, what he means is give it away. Give it to me. Let my why be your why. Let me show you what I want you to do and be in this world. Be the church. He said, then you will find life. You will find the life. You will find who you were created to be. When we think about this question that we're asking about why, church, that's the question we're asking. Are, are, are we willing to hold our life up in that way. Because to do that, to actually do that, takes an incredible trust in who Jesus is. You've got to believe he's for me. He's not just trying to take things from me, he's for me. And anything that it costs me in this life will be worth it. It will be money well spent, time well spent, energy well spent. It will be worth it. Church, Friends, is his why our why? That's what we're gonna be exploring in this series. Here's a couple of things I wanna ask you to do. One of them is simple, and it's just, will you come be a part of this series with us? Will you engage this question with us? Why church? Will you do that with us? And the second thing, might sound simple, but I think it's actually really hard. I'm gonna ask you to do this. Will you gut level honest start to ask yourself the question, what is my why? 
What is my why? What is my passion? What are the things that are driving my heart, my gut, my decisions? What is it that's really driving me? And is it the things that are on the heart of God? I think that's an easy question to say. It's a hard question to ask. And sometimes even as God's spirit starts to reveal things, it's a hard answer to hear. But will you ask it with me? Can we ask that together? We're gonna have nine more weeks after this where we're gonna be unpacking this question. Why? Why are we doing what we're doing? I'm gonna ask you to set your things aside and I want you to start that question right now with God. Would you just ask him, God, would you reveal my why to me? What is it that is driving my life really? God, I know that if we're gonna be the church that you want us to be, our why, our heart, our passion has got to line up with yours. And God, I'm just gonna be really honest with you. I feel like even sometimes on my best days, my real whys are just a muddled mess. But I wanna communicate to you, I want my why to be yours. I want our church's why to be yours. All my friends that are sitting here or listening online, I want it to be theirs. You love your church. She's your bride. God, help us to be the church, Jesus, that you came to build. We love you. We trust you. We surrender our lives to you. We surrender our church to you. Speak. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.